You are listening to an encore presentation of Mia Culpa Live, recorded on November 1st, 2022, at the El Rey Theater in Hollywood, California. Thank you. Welcome to Mia Culpa Live. I'm uh, Jimmy Jelnick. I'm the producer and writer of Mea Culpa and the chief creative officer of Audio Up. And I want to thank all of you for coming. You're incredibly brave. It's open season on Democrats right now, but uh, we have top-notch security, so if you see a maniac with a hammer, it is just Audio Up CEO Jared Gustad. He has a construction fetish, so he's probably hammering something right now. Seriously, though, we are thrilled for all of you to be here. Tonight marks episode 250 of Mea Culpa. Two years and 50 million downloads later, we are one of the top political news podcasts, thanks to all of you. The show was supposed to be only 10 episodes. We started eight weeks before the 2020 election. Then America would return to normal, right? Do you guys remember normal? No. Then shit hit the fan. American democracy was nearly toppled, and Michael's voice and insight became more important than ever. Yes. Cheer. Cheer for Michael. Come on. So a few notes about tonight. Uh, First, we are recording this show for a special episode. So make sure to cheer, yell, swear. Have a great fucking time. Come on. Let's shout. Let's hear it for Michael. I also want to thank our friends at Midas Touch, the tireless Mizellus brothers. And finally, the incredibly talented and hardworking team at Audio Up, Lisa Orkin, our editor. Paula Killam, the show's new writer, and Richard Regal, who put this whole thing together tonight. Everybody, thank Richard. Say, thank you, Richard. Now it's my honor to introduce Kathy Griffin, the Emmy Award comedian who has risked more for political freedom than most politicians have and has paid the price. Thank you, Kathy, for all that you do. So let's hear it now, folks. Give a loud mea culpa welcome for Kathy Griffin. First of all, let me explain my voice. I have to do this every time. I had lung cancer. I'm fine. They took out half of my left lung, but during it, they damaged my like vocal cords and stuff, so I sound kind of like Minnie Mouse. But it doesn't hurt, and I don't want you to think you're watching a sick person. That's, I don't know any other way to explain it. Oh, this is insane. Okay, so I brought cards, and I'll tell you why. First of all, hello, deep state libtards. Hello, deep state lizard people. Hello. It is me. I came from Comet Pizza. I was in the basement again, harvesting baby parts with Hillary and Tom Hanks for some reason. Tom Hanks is on that list. Hello, other people that I'm sure are on the Jeffrey Epstein flight log. Yes, hello. I'm on it as well because that is very believable that I would go to Epstein Island and... Molest, okay, that all makes a lot of sense. Now look, I don't know if anyone's on a little app called Twitter, but we're gonna talk about it right now because it's melting down in real time, which I like only because I have a loathing for Elon Musk that feels like it has to be deep and lasting, and I think it is. He's so awful. And you want to hear something? Okay, so he had an affair with a friend of mine, and when she dumped him, he was so pissed, he parked outside her house for three weeks with a diaper. He's a freak. Yes. Yes. And this girl is like beyond drop-dead gorgeous. So, you know, so she's like, but she's like, yeah, he's outside in the diaper for three weeks calling me. Freak! And he went to Heidi Klum's Halloween last night. Sorry, that happens to my voice, sorry. And then he wore this outfit where it like put on, it was like a Batman suit, where it gave his like doughy fucked up body like fake muscles. But because it's like just painted abs, he looks like a big bug. And he just looks like a superhero like bug, but not even Ant-Man, it's a shit fest. Okay, so I just cannot stand him. Now, um. So I just wanted to read you some tweets that I got just since Elon Musk took over. Because you know he's trying to act like, you know, nothing has changed, and yet use of like the N-word is up 500%, stuff like that. So have you guys noticed a change or not, seriously? Right? It's so obvious. Okay, here we go. So one of them was, 
Can't wait until Ad Elon Musk figures out the technology to rebuild Ad Kathy Griffin's face. What? It's a great app about sharing. Um, and then, of course, we get the MAGA folks. Kathy Griffin is still at the top of the likely to murder someone list. With her past antics, she should be checked out. So that's believable. I'm obviously a, a very, like, a skilled murderer. And I do it so often that I'm probably on the top of the list. Yet another list. There's so many, they, they love their fucking list. Oh, you guys, is anybody following the Oath Keepers trial? Oh, it is a fucking page turner. All right, so they got this one guy. His name is Stuart Rhodes, but his real name is Elmer. Elmer! I swear to God, but that's embarrassing. So he's like, it's Stuart. No, it's not Elmer. Okay, so if you've seen him on the news, he always wears like a leather vest, and he's not, you know what I mean, he shouldn't. All right, and then he... Beyond, you know, I care. And so, and he wears a patch. You've seen this guy. Because he shot himself in the eye. My hand to God, wait, right hand. My hand to God, he shot himself like a ricocheted. And he shot his own fucking eye out. I love it, I can't help it. I love it, that motherfucker. And, oh, and I've become friends with his wife on Twitter. See, that's why, yes, I am. I'm deep, I'm deep with this shit because ever since they came for me five years ago, I'm fucking finding out their, where their fucking rat holes are and shit. All right, so I'm on a mission and I became friends with this guy's wife on Twitter and she said that when they were living together, his ex-wife, now she's like turned a corner. Okay, so like Jason, he comes up later. All right, so anyway, this is such a good lineup, you guys. I'm so glad you're here. It's like, like a weird mix, right? I know. Okay, so she said he would dig spider holes in the yard and that he would ever help him dig spider holes, whatever that is. And then when the deep state comes, they dig down in there with tunnels and then they just live in a dirt tunnel. These people are fucking crazy. All right. Fuck the Democrats and fuck that dumbass bitch, Kathy Griffin. And this is, I just get these random tweets all the time from MAGA people. Hey, Pop, this is Kettle. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know that fucking Margie Three Tones? Margie Three Tones comes for me all the time. And that fucking cunt Carrie Lake, I said it. Yes! Well, Carrie Lake is a fucking dangerous piece of cunt. Capital C. All caps. And yet I'm humbled. Let me tell you why. I'm humbled. I may seem ballsy, but I'm humbled. And I'll tell you why, because I got this tweet today. Is that you, Kathy Griffin? Halloween is over. Um, because people reach out to me. And then, <laughs> once again, I'm not saying that Twitter is worse or anything. But um, the last one I'll read to you, and then I'll bring out Michael, is someone just tweeted me, Satan is a fag. What does that even fuck? What is that? Where, how many groups does that please? Who is funding the Satan is a fag movement? Is it, are they in with the God hates fags people and the fucking Cokes and the Mercers? Who are these lunatics? God help us, I'm scared for the midterms. All right, fine, I'm fine, I'm breathing. All right, you guys are fucking amazing. Thanks for letting me come on and play a little bit. And it's my, I love you, I love you. My one and a half lungs love you. So I'm gonna bring out somebody that I always say that now we're friends. That's right, hell froze over. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Cohen! I just want everyone to know we won the election. <laughs> Fuck is going on? I won. 
Did I win? No, I guess not. All right. It's Michael Cohen here, and this is Maya Culpa Live. And thank you all for being here. So I want to thank all my fantastic guests for being here this evening. It's great to be back in Los Angeles, especially now that I am no longer a political prisoner. Now, let me say that I have had the distinction of representing both Donald Trump and Kanye West. Now, Elon Musk, if by chance you're looking for a lawyer, I'm sorry, I've been disbarred, all right? And I've been disbarred because a former president of the United States had his mushroom pecker pulled by a porn star, and I paid for it, right, with a little bit of cash and a whole lot of prison time, all right? I'm also the man who inspired the New York Attorney General, Tish James, to go after the Trump Organization, all right? In that case, is, oh, so here's a little breaking news in case anybody didn't see what happened. Jeff McConney, who is an assistant controller, knew him forever, he was a low-level kind of guy, but he was Alan Weisselberg's guy. He ended up with COVID, and he's yakking and coughing, and every time he's yakking and coughing, what happens? He turns his head towards the judge. And the judge, the judge got pissed. This is, you can't make this shit up. So what ends up happening, he goes ahead and he's coughing towards the judge. The judge turns and says, what are you doing? So he goes, are you sick? So he goes, I think I am. So he takes the jury and he puts them back in the jury pool. He tests them and COVID. So now that trial is delayed until Monday. I mean, this guy's got not nine lives. It's more like 90 lives. All right. So will Tish James get him? I think the answer is yes. All right. And I think that she's going to wreck the Trump organization. So let's, we can all hope. You know, because there's so many things that he could go down for. Let's start here. Election fraud, right? Treason. Randomly grabbing women by the you-know-what. The obstruction of justice charges. Sabotage. Real estate Ponzi schemes. And you name it. I mean, if anybody throws out, I'm sure Donald has been involved in that type of a crime. But at the end of the day... What's going to get him? I predict it's going to be tax fraud. Um, I believe it, and I call it the Al Capone theory. They couldn't get him on murder, extortion, racketeering, but they will get him on tax fraud because that's, that's the low-hanging fruit. All right? Now, God knows I've made other predictions. You may remember years ago, I turned around and I said that there will never be a peaceful transfer of power if Donald Trump wins, and I was right. On top of that, I've also called a handful of other things, including things like, you know, Mark Meadows, when I said to him at the House Oversight Committee, I know what you're doing. I know the playbook because I created the playbook. So you can't run it on me. So rest assured, if you look to see what happened to me, I know it's going to happen to you. And now you got, what, 19 different lawyers? You're right, MAGA, make attorneys, get attorneys. That's what's happening here. Now... You know, I told the world, I mean, I told the world that he would never leave office. And, you know, some folks still believe, you know, that he hasn't left. Do you watch any of this shit? You know, you see like David Packman, he's been a guest on Maya Culpa. And he goes out and he speaks to all of these different folks. And he says, you know, Donald's really the president, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, Donald's still the president. And they look and he goes, yeah, and how did that happen? Well, they're sending up votes to some Jewish space laser that's coming down and everything's about... And the saddest part is that these people actually believe this shit. I mean, there's really something going on in America. I don't know if it's the water or what it is, but whatever it is, it's not legit, right? I mean, we have to put an end to the stupidity. So um, those people, of course, are QAnon folks. So let's give a shout out to all our QAnon folks, right? Any QAnon folks here, right? <laughs> all right, yeah, I know, I know, bad, bad, bad joke. All right. Now, you know, because I knew six months before Rudy, Kaludi, Drunken Giuliani, you've heard me call him that many times. You know, I knew it before Rudy Giuliani did. I knew he was going to go down. Why? Well, a few reasons. First of all, he's fucking stupid, right? I mean, you know, desperate, stupid people do stupid things, and that's Rudy. And it's sad. This guy was once considered America's mayor. Now he's just the laughing stock like the fucking penguin walking with his schlep leg, the whole bullshit. It's unbelievable sitting and listening to Donald as he goes and he starts walking around all, you know, the city and talking. It's amazing. He's still trying to get into Donald's good graces. But Donald kicked his ass to the curb. And soon he's going to understand what it's like to be living under the bus like I did. All right. So rest assured, Trump is done with him. 
But now we have to see who's next, Christina Bob, it's gonna be Eastman Cannon, any of the other 25 attorneys that he did the same shit to. And then of course, after the Mar-a-Lardo raid, I predicted that Trump hadn't turned all over the documents. You can look on my Twitter feed, August 31. I turned around and I said, I promise you, knowing Donald the way I do, the guy is hiding documents somewhere. And where's he hiding these documents? Well, it could be, you know, in his apartment at Trump Fifth Avenue, it could be at Bedminster, it could be at Brightcliffe, any of the kids' homes. What they need to do is, you remember all like, um, where's Waldo? All right, we need to track every single place that Donald went and we have to then figure out based on cell phones who he spoke to, how and why, because our democracy is really in peril right now. This guy doesn't give a shit about America, he doesn't care about the Constitution, doesn't care about national security, and I've often said, going all the way back, that this man will sell America's national security secrets simply to keep himself out of trouble or to make money. So we have to find out who it is that Donald met, who he saw, and then we need to get the FBI to raid them as well. But listen, you guys could read, you know, you could all read this stuff, thank you, in, um, you know, in my new book, Revenge, you know, how Donald Trump weaponized the United States Department of Justice against his critics. Because the story that you think that you know about me you really don't. In fact, if I can, everybody always said to me, oh, did you read for the book? I did not. And I'm gonna tell you why I didn't. It's very hard. Writing this book was extremely difficult because I was reliving the torture that I was going through and watching my family with the pain um, that my wife and my children were going through. So reliving it and then having to re-edit and edit and then re-edit and then talk about it, it was really super difficult. But I wanna give I want to give you an idea in terms of where this book is and where tonight's going to go. So I'm going to actually do just a quick read onto it, and I hope you'll just indulge me in it. So 24 hours after Kazami, and that's um, Robert Kazami who took over for the head of the Southern District of New York, reached out slightly after 5.30 p.m. on August 19th, and that's a Friday, while Laura, who's my wife, and I were at home of a friend who had just gone through surgery. I got a call from Petrillo, that was my lawyer, on my cell phone stating that he needed to see me and Laura in his office the following Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Naturally, I asked what had transpired at the meeting, which clearly didn't last very long, and Petrillo said, we'll discuss it tomorrow. Now, can you imagine leaving someone twisting in the wind like that? How the hell could I leave it alone until the following morning? This was my life we were talking about. So I said, I have to know what's going on. That's when Petrillo dropped the hard facts on me. The Southern District of New York was demanding either I plead guilty to a series of crimes on Monday, or they would be finally an 85-page indictment that would include Laura. Why? Because our financial accounts were in both of our names. What's more, they pointed out that if I didn't comply, we could both do a perp walk, known universally, right, um, by reporters as the walk of shame out of our apartment. So you talk about a reality check. What are the charges, I asked. I had no idea at this point what SDNY was looking at or what they launched uh, and intended to charge. Petrillo abruptly replied, income tax evasion, misrepresentation to a bank, and campaign finance violations. I began to shout. What tax evasion? I've never in my life not paid taxes. I've never in my life been audited. I don't owe the IRS any money, nor have I ever lied to a bank for anything. Petrillo replied, that's why we're meeting each other at eight in the morning. I'm not discussing this now. You imagine this crap? I was dazed as if sucker punched by Mike Tyson. If I hadn't been so stunned, I should have realized then that Petrillo was not on my side and didn't have my best interest at heart. For four months, I'd asked why the federal government didn't want to speak with me. If they were investigating me, didn't they want some answers? I never once got a response to that question. You know, your natural curiosity as an investigator should have made you step forward and talk to me, especially if you were interested in pursuing a case against Donald Trump. Maybe I could help. But if you have no intention of investigating Donald Trump, then why speak to me at all? If you have me in the bag and aren't gonna do anything else, it makes sense that the investigators wouldn't want to talk to me at all. And that's exactly what they did. And later, it's exactly what Lanny Davis pointed out. The government had no intention of going after Trump. 
<laughs> getting me was all that they cared about. In any event, there was no chance I was gonna let those bastards file anything against my wife. So like a man in a hostage video, I agreed to the SDNY deal. And of course, right after sentencing, Petrillo then dumped me like trash. We haven't spoken to this day. They put a metaphoric gun to my wife's head and forced me to ex execute a plea deal while my former federal prosecutor attorney told me it was the best thing for me and Laura. Petrillo never took off the prosecutorial robe, ever, and I still have questions that remain unanswered. I gave Petrillo written permission to answer them for this book, but he didn't. These are the things I want you to think about as we deal with our government on a day-to-day -day basis. These are the reasons why Donald Trump is still walking free, but I do promise you, Tish James has him. I'm telling you, it's going to the SDNY, and we're going to make this happen. So please, everybody, enjoy the show. Enjoy, enjoy the guests. We have some great guests. Kathy Griffin, we have Harry Littman, and then we have Jason Van Tattenhove. So I promise you, this is going to be mea culpa on steroids. All right, everybody, another big cheer for Michael. All right. Michael, should we bring on our first guest now? Are you ready? Absolutely. All right, so please welcome the former national spokesman of the Oath Keepers. You've been hearing about them a little bit on trial. Uh, and now uh, he's going to give you the lowdown. Let's give a warm mea culpa welcome for Jason Van Tatenhove. Does everybody know who Jason is, by the way? All right. Right? Um, yes, thank you, Jason is right. So Jason, look, you were the national media director for the Oath Keepers. What does that job entail, right? And why were the Oath Keepers seeking national attention when their mission seems both subversive as well as violent? Well, the job really was to, to put out propaganda. It really was to, um, to go out every day to look at what was happening in the news cycle, whether that's uh, Drudge Report, the, the news aggregates, find stories that really had an emotional reaction, because that's part of the formula. Part of the formula is that, that strong emotional reaction. Um, and uh, that, uh, that opens up doors where people are willing to just uh, spend money, do stupid things, um, and, and join up with, with organizations like this. Yes, but the problem that you have when you join up with stupid organizations, and believe me, I know joining stupid organizations, right? I promise you that shit. All right, at the end of the day, look at what happened. They're all going to jail on behalf of their, their leader, their Fuhrer, their monarch, their dictator, right? They're all going to jail. Did he offer to pay for anybody's legal fees? Did he do anything? Did he extend one single olive branch to anyone, including you know, Stuart, Stuart Rhodes. The answer, no. No. Why? Because Donald doesn't pay for shit. It's unbelievable. He's the cheapest guy and the stupidest guy at the same exact time. When you have somebody out there who's going to implicate you, one would think like a mob boss, what would you do? You put your arms around him and you protect him, but not Donald. So look, essentially, you're an artist and a writer. So how was it that you got involved with Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers in the first place? I mean, what was your draw to it? Look, I'm nobody to sit into it, right? I mean, I ended up getting sucked in by the cult as well, right? The politics, was it the lifestyle, you know, the potential for danger? You know, a lot of people, you know, enjoy the danger. For me, it was more the excitement of the, of the company. Don't forget, you know, I, we were doing a little VIP uh, meet and greet upstairs, and one of the nice young ladies asked me this question, you know, what was it that attracted you there? You have to remember, when I was at the Trump Organization, it wasn't what Donald is known for today, which is being just a fucking asshole, right? And a guy who wants to overturn the United States of America and create an autocracy. I was the co-president of Trump Productions. And so many people watched The Apprentice. And if you weren't watching The Apprentice, I was on the board. It was me, Trump, and Weisselberg. <laughs> Three geniuses, right? Two of them are gonna be felons. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, at the end of the day, what, you know, I was doing real estate deals, I was working on the Miss Universe pageant, on The Apprentice, and so on. Very different than what Donald has become, which is the worst version of himself imaginable. Right, just an absolute asshole. Yes. 
Well, I, I know for me, the, the, I initially got started um, as an independent journalist. I went and covered Bundy Ranch. I, I made some calls and I got embedded in with Stuart Rhodes as he drove down to Bundy Ranch and was a fly on the wall there. And it was, it, it was exciting. I mean, it was a historical event. I had these grand notions that I was going to write my Hunter S. Thompson styled, you know, Hell's Angel style book. Um, but I, I got sucked in. I got lost along the way. And a lot of that was that you know, it, it was exciting. I got to fly in to work on helicopters at times. I got to, you know, go to all these big standoffs. And there's something to that that, that kind of draws you in. Yeah, look, I know all about the helicopters. I'm thankful that they didn't crash. You know, especially Tom, Trump has, you know, a history of not really putting money back into his equipment, which is, which is really <laughs> terrible, right? But um, I, I really do. I know what it's like to get sucked into the cult. You know, I was... Um, I was there. I mean, I know, and I don't know what it is that we can all do in order to open up people's eyes so that they fully understand just how dangerous this man, his acolytes are, the fact that these people have no compunction whatsoever with taking apart our democracy. You know, one thing that I remember listening to my father and my mother always talk, our goal is to leave this world better for you than what was left to us. And we're not doing that right now. In fact, we're leaving, we're leaving the world in a worse situation for our children, grandchildren, and God willing, great-grandchildren. I don't even know how we get Roe back. You know, once they take a right, it's virtually impossible to get it back. And I don't know what we can all do other than vote blue and vote blue heavy, right, in order to turn things around. Maybe we can add more Supreme Court judges and try to change things, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I think it starts with talking to one another, to tell these stories, to give these insider accounts to what these people are really like. I know that when I first read your, your first book, there were so many times that I felt similar situations that happened, you know, situation dynamics that happened between you and Trump that happened between me and, and Stuart Elmer, um, where there, there, there are just a lot of character traits that seem to be shared. And uh, a lot of the experiences you were talking about up there, you were talking about your kids and, and their thoughts on Trump. Um, my daughters have so many stories about Stuart because he lived in our basement for months. And uh, they, they, they got to see it in all its glory. <laughs> I love your leader living in the basement. At least mine lived in a 33,000 square foot triplex worth 282 billion, right? <laughs> right. Look, but you know, one of the bigger problems when you talk about, right, could you imagine this asshole, 33,000 square feet, it's 11,000 square feet. It's one of the things that Tish James is bringing up in her case against him. He's the developer, he lived there, he doesn't know the size of his, uh, of his apartment. I mean, and this guy becomes president of the United States of America, which just goes to show you anybody can run and anybody can win, right? Isn't that the saddest part? All right, I'm going to run. So look, one of, the big, one of the biggest problems that we have is what you just brought up, which is the fact that we don't talk to each other. Now, I'm assuming that you've also been threatened for coming out with your story and exposing the Oath Keepers. Has it all been worth it? Right? Has your life changed since you testified before the January 6th committee? It has. It, it, it started changing back in September last year when I first, because I was doing a lot of work behind the scenes, working with journalists, kind of connecting the dots on stories, but I always did it anonymously. And last September, I allowed a, a reporter with the, the Washington Post to attribute uh, a piece to me, uh, a section of a piece anyway. And it just unleashed this, this avalanche that led to you know, documentaries. And I have two film crews that come up to my place every week from all over the world. Um, and uh, you know, the, the threats are there, yeah, every day. Look, I, but, yeah, I, I can sympathize with you, you know, as I was telling some of the folks before. I don't walk with my wife and my children. If we're going to go for dinner, I meet them there because after my public testimony, this far-right wing MAGA fanatical group, they don't care who they hurt. They don't care what they do. And this is a real danger to our democracy. You know, I've always said that the way that you overthrow a democracy, the first thing you do is you take away people's First Amendment constitutional rights, like in Russia, where they have state-sponsored 
media, right? We have Fox News. Then what do you do? You go after the military, paramilitary groups and so on. And that's exactly what the January 6th insurrection was all about. Trump saw these people, and I called it, the second that that was going on, I went on television and I said, I promise you this man is sitting there watching the television sets as happy and elated as you could possibly imagine. And why? Because they were doing it in his honor. They're wearing his red hats. They're carrying his Trump, you know, MAGA banners, right? Like our mea culpa banner over there, right? The only difference is we're trying to stand up for democracy and he's trying to destroy it. You know? So, you, so look, Jason, you and I have both gotten out from under a cult, you know, or a cult-like it, thing. It really is like a cult. Yeah. What finally changed your minds about Rhodes and the mission? I mean, if you will, you know, of the Oath Keepers. Right? How were you finally deprogrammed? And in essence, what got you out? Well, it, it was a combination of things. And, and during the process of writing my book, um, you know, you, you spend so much time, you just want to forget about everything and just stick your head in the sand. And writing the book can be difficult. You know, you got to relive these things you just wanted to forget and walk away from. I wrote my first one in prison. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so the, the, the death of Lavoie Finicum um, during the Malheur Refuge standoff, I went to his funeral and I saw his daughters. I have three daughters. And, you know, a lot of why I'm standing up and, and saying the things I am and, and talking about the things I am is because, you know, not only is it, do I have to show them that as a human being you can fuck up, but you can also do your part to make it right. And what you're saying about leaving the world as a better place, like, that's serious. Like, the, the world that my daughters are inheriting, your kids are inheriting, it, it, it's a shit show compared to what we had. And it's getting worse. So it's up to us. No one's coming to help us. We've got to help ourselves figure this out. Um, the other aspect, not just the, the going to the funeral and seeing his daughters just emotionally destroyed and seeing my daughters in their place really affected me. But they were taking a much harder right turn. They were more and more courting the alt-right and straight up white nationalists and, and, and that whole demographic. And um, I just was not okay with that. And I walked into a, a, a grocery store up in, it was up in Eureka, Montana, where we all lived. And uh, there was, a, it's just a small little grocery store. You gotta literally drive an hour and a half to get to a stoplight at this place. Um, and uh, there, there, people gathered there at the end of the day. And there was a group of people that were some core members um, that had been around since, you know, my day one at the uh, Oath Keepers at the, the, the Bundy Ranch standoff. And they were talking about how the Holocaust wasn't real and that it hadn't happened. And uh, I just, my, my jaw dropped. I just couldn't believe that they were, those words were coming out of their mouths and in a public place of them. And that for me was just a straw. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I couldn't do it. If you would tell my audience... What is it about the Holocaust and the denials that, that got you? Like, I could understand me, the son of a Holocaust survivor. All you have to do is look on uh, Schindler's List and you'll see one of my great uncles who was a Schindler survivor. You know, I could understand me. Explain to my audience what it is about that denial that really got you. So I, I have family that are, my cousin's actually in the audience here. Um, they're Jewish. And we grew up, uh, we've known each other since we were four, grew up doing blended holidays. Christmas, we would, you know, do our Christmas traditions and we'd, we'd do uh, their Christmas traditions and it just, it was part of the family. You know, I have an aunt who's Jewish, I've got a cousin who's Jewish, cousins who are Jewish and, and uh, you know, so it just, I couldn't do it. You know, I gotta tell you, with all those tattoos, you're gonna have a hard time getting into a Jewish cemetery. They're gonna do a lot of work on you. They're going to take your fingers, your head. They're going to take it all. You know, they're going to bury your toes. No, there's no tattoos on the toes, right? Uh, top of the feet. No, the top, top of the feet. They're going to take that too. <laughs> now, look, uh, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I really do. The Holocaust denials are just terrible. It's the easiest way for them to turn around and to, you know, start this nonsense, which they're doing. Uh, you know, they ultimately... Look at the rise in anti-Semitism that we're seeing today. This is how they do it. You start with yesterday and then you work it to today. It's good for you, good for you in getting out. Me, I got kicked in the ass very, very hard and I got out only because I ended up going to prison. 
you know, I, I spent the day, if you don't mind me interjecting real quick, I spent the day before my testimony in Congress. With, I ain't fighting with you. <laughs> um, and I, I went with my cousin and we went to the National Holocaust Museum and went and toured it. And I got to tell you, I, I saw some of the same looks, some of, you know, the looks in the eyes, that kind of sarcastic smile of the, the SS troops that, you know, and the Hitler youth that, that were rounding up the Jews. I've, I've seen those faces before. I've seen those smirks before. And they were at these standoffs and at these rallies. And, you know, it starts off as just joking around and, you know, gets, it, it's just snowballs, snowballs. And it really was an eye-opening experience. And I think right now we've, we've kind of forgotten about fascism and, and, and national socialism and, and just authoritarianism. And because we've had it pretty good. We've had a pretty good run. But it hasn't gone away. And we need to remember that. I mean, I, I, that was the first time I'd ever gone to the Holocaust Museum, and it was profoundly affecting to me, especially the day before my testimony. Listen, at the end of the day, good for you. The legacy you're leaving for your children, right, is important. And they'll know that their father was on the right side of history. All right, you could rest assured on that one. So, Jason, let me ask you this then. Now that Rhodes and members of um, both the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys are behind bars, what do you think the future of those organizations, what do you think it'll be? And, I mean, we know, for instance, that there are Proud Boys in Miami that have been elected to office. So at least some of them have, we'll say, gone legit, right? What was the plan all along? The plan was to, to court politicians to court law enforcement, you know, that monopoly of power and violence and insert themselves into it. So, you know, there, there have been politicians that, that have been working hand in hand with the Oath Keepers, you know, since, since my first days working with them, which was over five years ago. Um, and we're seeing that more and more. We're seeing that in the, the election that's happening for the state secretary race in, in Arizona. Um, you know, it's happening across the country and it's spreading. And what I'm really concerned right now with is, is the spread of the Constitutional Sheriff and Peace Officers Associations as well, those, those constitutional sheriffs, because that's something that has been hand-in-hand hand with organizations like the Oath Keepers from day one as well. And um, that, that, to me, is a very scary prospect, and we need to be very vigilant to, to pay attention to what's going on there. Right, so with my audience who obviously listens to Maya Culpa, one of the things that I've talked about quite often, and I've repeated it, and, I'm, and I think it's worth repeating even now, something that Trump used to repeat in the office, this was going back before he had won the 2016 election on that rotten day, he used to say, that it doesn't matter who counts the votes. Uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the votes. And that's ringing true today. He's setting it up in such a way that state legislatures and all of these folks on the inside, that they will ultimately change the vote for who they want. That's not democracy. But then again, because it benefits him, he doesn't care. And the truth doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, these organizations are talking so much about how they're protecting the Constitution, how they're protecting democracy, that they're the tip of the spear. Yet they're the ones that are, are you know, it's our guy and our guy's going to win no matter what. And if that doesn't happen, well, we're going we're gonna to raid the Capitol. We're going to dismantle democracy. We're going to change the rules so that our guy always wins. And that's dangerous not only here, but we set a precedent around the world, I think. And we're seeing the flame that, that was lit by, by Trump and, and these others that's now spreading like wildfire. Yeah, and you know another adage which rings true, and I talk about it again on Maya Culpa all the time, if you have a strong America, you have a strong world. When you have a weak America, you have a weak world. And that's why we're seeing the likes of Putin doing what he's doing. We're seeing what's going on all over the world. Um, it's because America is weak right now. And it's weak because we had four years of one of the worst, if not the worst president in the history of America. So let me ask you then this question. What's a typical Oath Keeper's version of a perfect world? Right? What does that look like? Because they sure don't seem happy with what we've got now. Yeah, I, I, I think it very much falls in line. Unfortunately, I, I hate to say it, it looks very much like uh, Handmaid's Tale. 
um, and, and the way that has been fictionalized. Um, I think it's, it's very good if you're straight, white, rich, and male. But the rest of the, the, rest of the population, it's not so good for. Um, I, I think we're looking at a Christian nationalist state um, that is, we're, we're, we're going back in time 60 years um, in that. And, and that's just with like the, the more moderate of the extremists. You know, if you get into the sovereign citizen side of things, well then that is just a complete breakdown of, of society. Yeah, it's, look, well said. This, I, I, I really don't even have anything to add to that. This Southern White Christian Coalition, their belief system has to be then shoved down the throats of people who don't agree with that aspect and they're willing to do whatever it's going to take in order to do what to get their way so you know what i want to open the i want to open up the floor here to the audience sure. i'm sure that they have some questions for you anybody here have some questions for jason thank you i'd like your reaction to the attack on pelosi's husband and the disinformation that's been coming out and the disinformation that comes out so fast it cannot be undone. So, thank you. I, I think we've gotten to a point where the truth doesn't matter. Um, and and that, that has to do with the media, that has to do with social media and these algorithms that we're in. But just, we've kind of reached a threshold, I think, as, as a culture where we're so divided and encamped that whatever happens on the other side is okay. You know, if this had happened to someone on the right, you know, they'd be screaming bloody murder, but now they're, they're throwing all these conspiracy theories up and it's a disinformation campaign. I mean, this is out of the propaganda playbook that they play by and they do use propaganda to great effect. They use these social media algorithms to great effect. They've figured it out. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just, it's testament to just how far we've, we've gone, how much, how much territory we've lost as to what America used to be um, and uh, it, I think, unfortunately, moving forward, it's, it's very indicative that this is, this is where we're moving, that it's just going to be a very violent, political violence is going to be a reality that we're going to have to deal with for a while until we figure that out. And this is not on the Democrats. This is on the GOP, plain and simple. I certainly remember, as all of you do, all right? when Steve Scalise was shot. And I remember all the Democrats coming together with the Republicans and denouncing and hoping that Steve Scalise gets better and that he comes back to work. And you may also remember when he got the standing ovation when he entered the People's House. That's the Democratic way. Do you know the GOP way? You know what the GOP way is? Don fucking Trump Jr., all right? Putting out a goddamn tweet about a pair of underwear with a, with a hammer, thinking that that's funny. You know why? Because this sad sack piece of shit thinks that he's now gonna get some attention from daddy, right? That's the problem, and it's not just Don Jr. It's all of these sycophantic assholes that think that Donald is gonna rise up and start to notice them he doesn't care about them at all. He wouldn't walk across the street to piss on them if they were on fire because he's too busy. But they don't give a shit. All they care about is clicks or how many likes that they got on Twitter or Truth Social, which will be out of business any week now. So, you know, it's, great. it's a great question and it's sad. Hi, uh, Jason. Jason Stewart here. Um, I'm, you know, I sit and I watch all these shows all the time and I see people that were with your organization. I'm a gay Jewish uh, artist myself and, uh, it, and I, I see you guys, you seem like great guys. There's a certain, uh, compassion in your voice now. You're, you're tattooed, you're nail polished, you're wearing my mother's sweater. Um, <laughs> you know. Michael's taken off the suit and he's got the cool guy. He looks like he was in a band when he was a kid. Hey, yeah. Donald Trump you in prison. Like, no. You guys look like guys that live in my apartment complex whose wives are upset that you're not working. Um, so. I, I, well, that's I, like, what does every Jewish wife do with her asshole every morning? I don't know. I'm Send him to work. <laughs> I'm gay, I don't have to worry about that shit. Um, 
no, and I, I'm just a dumb actor, comedian, and I'm and I and I watch these things, and I look at somebody like you, and I think to myself, you know, you say how it used to be for a gay guy like me, it wasn't great, but it's you know, it wasn't great being my father also was a Holocaust survivor, and uh, my mother's a beautician, and um, <laughs> and I just. Uh, I think that uh, what what possessed you to become a part of a group like this? What pushed this white heterosexual Christian guy? I'm assuming you're a Christian. Uh, first off, I am white. Yeah, I'm queer. Oh, oh, and I'm not Christian. Oh, okay. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. And they let you in. Well, here's the thing. There. So this is something that's not all that well known. There are there. there so the, there was a, a committed gay couple, married, who ran the back-end merchant the, services for the Oath Keepers. No. One of the gals, yes. Don't tell us this. One of the gals <laughs> who raided the Capitol is a trans woman. It's true. Okay, so we have a couple bad but, apples. But, so... We're not allowed to, we weren't allowed to talk about that. I, I wasn't open at the time. I would think I not. I am open now. Uh-huh. But, you know, Stuart knew that I was queer. Um, and we had discussions about how uh, he would love to, and I think part of it was he was just telling me what I wanted to hear. Um, but what made you do it? What made, well, I have you... a healthy distrust of the government. I think there's a good, there's a good basis to that. Mm-hmm. I think history shows us that. And there's been a radicalization that happened. And understand, I started as an independent journalist doing talk radio and going and covering Bundy Ranch. And then I went and covered the Sugar Pine Mine incident. And then I also, White Hope. And so I helped them put together a press release because they had asked me because they had a PIO that didn't know what they were doing. And I've, I've been in media. I've been a, a, a legitimate journalist. And... Um, I told them not to ever use my name on it, but I was getting inside access. I was getting just crazy access to everything that was going on. And I had these notions of writing a book. But I did. I was listening to a lot of conspiracy theory. Um, and I wasn't in a good place in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's, they kind of really focus in on that, that disenfranchised community that where people's lives aren't going as they had planned. That's the ripe fruit. That's who they're going after. Um, because they give them this sense of community and this sense of doing something important for the history of the country. And that's something we've, got to, we've really got to look at. We've really got to look at how they're going after these disenfranchised members of the community um, and using them as pawns um, to further their own agendas. And, and we've got to get out and talk more about the techniques they're using to recruit people and, and kind of pull them into that, that craziness. And it, it, from the outside, it's really easy to look in and say, well, how the fuck did you ever get involved with that? But it's a gradual process. And by the end of it, I was, you know, during the Malia Refuge, I was definitely drinking the Kool-Aid. I had lost my notion of writing the book, and I was changing the way I dressed. I was changing the way I talked. And, you know, luckily enough, I had these series of events that shook me awake. I didn't recognize myself in the mirror anymore. And... I was able to get away from it and just say, look, we got to go. We can't do this. And I think we've got to really look at off-ramps for people. We've got to look at ways to bring people back away from the edge because there's half the country right now that are courting this. They're looking at it, you know, and they're being influenced by it. And we've got to find ways to, to talk about this. Mentorship. And, yeah, something. Yes. I think we have time for two more questions, so... Uh... Let's, uh, who's got another question? All the way in the back there. Fantastic. Hi, Michael. I like the look. Oh, thank you very much. My wife dressed me. Oh, she's got good taste. Um, Jason, I wanted to ask you, unlike Michael, do you think Donald's going to run again? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why Congress wanted me to come up and talk. I mean, I'm a guy with a mohawk and tattoos on my face. Um, you know, I because I think, you tell an important story. Yeah. Well, I, I I think that Michael knows better than I do. I think that he might just because you know it gives him more options. But I'm not some sort of political wizard. I don't know the the inner workings. All right, we got time for one more question. Here we go. Oh, back there. All right. 
Um, I'm reminded of the uh, problems in the 30s with Lindbergh and uh, Ford uh, that, uh, you know, Henry, that man, uh, and uh, the march on Washington with the Ku Klux Klan, and uh, for the vote to go to war with Nazi Germany took a while for the United States to step in. And I suspect they were not, a lot of the United States was not in favor of fighting Nazi Germany. They went in isolationism. So the, the memory of that is coming back to haunt us, maybe on steroids. And I wonder what your thoughts in that regard are. Well, again, I'm not a historian, but I think that we've seen these, these patterns happen historically. I think that, I, I, I think I touched on it earlier, that we've kind of forgotten about authoritarianism. We've kind of forgotten about fascism. We've kind of forgotten about, you know, these, these kind of hard right political movements. Um, and they, it's not like they went away. They've been here the whole time. They've just had their head down. And the rest of us kind of just thought, well, everything's good. Like, we're, we're making progress on rights, you know, we're going through growing pains. But they were just waiting for the right time, I think. I don't know. It's just, I think it's a very, very dangerous time. And I think we're seeing it spread all across the globe. And like Michael said, you know, what happens in America has an effect just in, in influence around the world, and it emboldens everybody. And uh, so I, I think we're gonna see this happening more and more, this kind of rise of the hard right globally. Thank you, everybody. Jason Van Tatenhoff, let's give a big round of applause. Stay tuned for part two of Mia Culpa Live, dropping Monday, November 7th. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. <laughs>